0: morning. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your word. Lord, it's a joy to be able to just open your word this morning. We ask you to speak to us through it. Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts to hear what you want to speak to us? And I pray that we would respond accordingly, God, in obedience and in faith towards you. God, would we leave here loving you more than when we came in, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus walked on earth, a lot of um, different types of people interacted with him, right? As we've already looked in the book of John, we've seen Jesus interacting with all different types of people, with uh, his 12 disciples, with some high-ranking religious officials. We've seen him talking to notorious sinners. We've seen him feeding massive crowds, and we've seen him sitting at a well with a woman offering her living water. And today's passage is no different. In John chapter 7, where you can turn in your Bibles, we're going to see Jesus interacting with his brothers, so people who are incredibly close to him. We're going to see Jesus interacting with a who are not quite sure about him, and then we're going to see Jesus interacting with some loud religious leaders. And as we observe each of these interactions, as we learn from each of these interactions, we're going to see that. All of those people, regardless of their reality, have to make a decision about Jesus. And the reason that this is a good passage of scripture for us to look at this morning is that we too, each, individually, need to decide what we believe about. So the main idea of these verses that we're going to dive in today is right here. It's that those who are close, those who are quiet, and those who are loud must all make a decision is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus the Son of God? And I think we're familiar with, with these three different types of people. I'll, I'll um, give an example using one of the musicians I enjoy listening to named Camilo. Please don't judge me for um, enjoying his music. But we like if you imagine him, right, you've got people who are close to him. That would be his, his family. If he's sharing photos, if he's sharing videos, it's the people who are close to him that are um, in, in those videos, in those photos, those who are quiet would be some some calm fans. Some people who are like, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy listening to the music. I I think it's good music, but I'm not broadcasting my um, my obsession with the music everywhere. I'm not uh, posting every time that I listen to one of the songs that he sings. Those are the the quiet fans, and then you've got the loud people who are like, I'm gonna go stand outside a hotel window and hold up a sign hoping that he'll see it. I'm gonna, gonna cry when I uh, see him um, when he first comes out on this stage. I'm gonna like every post, and um, I'm using those as examples because he shared videos of people literally crying as they see him and holding up signs, so I'm not just making this up. But those are people who are like loud, right? Very boldly declaring, um, what they think about him, but every time that he, as a musician, releases a song, all of those different groups of people need to determine how they feel about that song, right? Those who are close to him can be brutally honest with him, because they can tell him they hate his music, and they're still going to be his family. They're still going to be close to him. Those who are, are quiet would be like, well, I'm going to come to my own conclusion in my own time, and I'm not really gonna share whether I like that song or not, because no one really needs to know. Those who are loud would say, "Um, I'm gonna blast on social media that I love this song, I listened to it the moment that it released, and and I need everyone to know how I feel about it. But all this is a lot more serious when it's not just about a song, but when it's about Jesus, right? Like, because people who are close, or people who are quiet, or people who are loud, everyone needs to make a decision about Jesus, and it's a huge decision. It's not just a decision of, do I enjoy listening to this song or not? It's, is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus Lord, or is Jesus some crazy person or some person that I don't really care about? Everyone needs to determine what they believe about Jesus, And that decision of am I going to trust in Jesus or not determines everyone's eternity. So I want to ask you as we dig into these verses, consider where you're at today. What do you believe about Jesus? As we begin to, to discuss that, as we begin to think about that, we're going to join the story in John chapter 7 and verses 1 through 9. So you can follow along in your Bibles or it will be up on the screen It says that after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. So this is Jesus interacting with his brothers. And from this interaction, I want to highlight the truth that we can try to manipulate Jesus or we can trust Jesus, but we can't do both. See, the Feast of Booths is an event that happened each year about this time of year in the fall in Jerusalem. It was a huge celebration because the, the harvest had come. They had, had gathered all of the food that they were going to be able to store up. Um, and then all the people from the surrounding areas came to Jerusalem to celebrate and then also to remember how God had provided for the, their ancestors in the past as they lived in the wilderness in tents, in booths. So there are a ton of people from all over. They're all now gathered in Jerusalem. And Jesus' brothers are like, Jesus, this is your chance to be known to the masses. Everyone is already there. The party's already happening. So why don't you go? Why don't you perform some, some crazy signs and then why don't you get more followers because surely if you perform, then more people are going to follow you. And then in addition, they're like, also, like, if, you, if you're going to try to make it as the son of God, then you can't be in secret. You need to be known. You need to be in front of people in order to be seen. But then John makes this statement that Jesus, his brothers, did not even believe in him. They did not see Jesus as the son of God, and, and they just saw him as a, a really good guy, a guy that they had grown up alongside, a guy that they had, had eaten countless meals with, and then he started doing some miracles. He claims that he's the son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one, but they don't believe him. And instead of trusting in him, they're in this opportunity, they're trying to manipulate him. They're trying to get him to go to Jerusalem just like they want him to go, to show off, to to prove that he is who he says he is. And then they're like, well, Jesus, also, like, if you go up to Jerusalem, then, then we can go with you and we can kind of follow behind you. We can be like, we're your brothers. And so we can then gain from your popularity as well. If you go perform and we're your brothers, then it'll benefit us too. And we're familiar with that. Dynamic, right? Proximity to power. It's something that, that so many of us long for because we think if, if we're close to power, then it's gonna go better for us. But what we learn from the brothers of Jesus in these verses is that proximity to power, proximity to Jesus, does not always translate into faith in Jesus. Certainly those who, who trust in Jesus are people who are near to him, but what we see is these guys were around him all the time, and yet they don't trust him. And as we consider that reality today, we have to acknowledge that that being around Christians and and going to church and uh, listening to Christian music and, and reading the Bible does not automatically mean that the person doing them trusts in Jesus. Certainly, if we trust in Jesus, those are things that we do. It's part of our lives. But just doing them does not automatically mean that we trust in Jesus. Because like Jesus' brothers, they're basically trying to to view him as a a genie, right? They're like, if we can just manipulate him to do what we want him to do, to give us our wishes, then, then we like him. But as we read on, we see that Jesus responds as one who has authority he tells them that his time has not yet come he's not going to go to the feast he's not going to do what what he's told them to do or what they have told him to do even though they want him to Jesus will not be manipulated but Jesus invites all of us to trust him See, Jesus' brothers, in this moment, they didn't trust him. But a few years later, Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise from the dead. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, as we continue reading the Bible, we see that Jesus' brothers, these same guys who right here are trying to manipulate him, who do not trust in him, they're going to boldly declare their faith in Jesus. They're going to be some of the leaders of the early church, They're going to share the message of their brother, Jesus, the Son of God, with all who will listen. So if you're examining your life right now and you're you're thinking, man, like I I viewed Jesus more as a genie than I have God. Or I've been around Jesus, but I've never made that decision to trust in Jesus. Do what Jesus' brothers eventually did, which is what? Look at Jesus' cross and look at his empty tomb because the cross shows us that Jesus died for all of our sins. He died for for every time that we we try to, to use him, for every time that we try to manipulate him. He died for those sins and then he showed that he would not be overpowered by death. Even death cannot manipulate Jesus because he rose from the dead. He proved he has power and authority over all things. He showed that he can be trusted. So when we're tempted to manipulate Jesus, when we're tempted to try to use him to to get what we want for our own benefit, let us remember his cross and his tomb and let us trust in Jesus. That his timing is right, that his ways are right, and that his power is unrivaled. He will not be manipulated, but he will be trusted. I want to show you how this plays out, starting in verse 10. It says, But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews... No one spoke openly of him. So remember, Jesus' brothers are like, go, go to the feast, perform. Jesus did not go up to the feast in the way that his brothers wanted him to. Instead, he went up privately. And as he goes up, he, he sees that all these people are, are talking about him, but they're talking about him in secret. This is the, the quiet crowd. Those who are kind of muttering among themselves, talking among themselves to one another, but, but not wanting the public to know what they actually think of Jesus. We see that some view him favorably, others view him as a threat, but everyone is trying to fully figure this guy out. Who is this guy? What is he all about? And we learn from these verses that we can try to fully figure Jesus out, or we can trust him. We can't do both. See, Jesus had, had done many miracles. He had already given public teachings. He had already given private um, conversations. And people know about him. People have heard about him, and, and they're trying to figure him out. A few of them think he's a good guy, no problem at all. Others think he's a threat because he's leading the people astray. But regardless of what they think, they're, they're not yet confident enough in their, their view of Jesus to to publicly um, communicate what they think about him. And again, we're familiar with how this plays out. I'm going to use as an example, um, Scott Frost, Nebraska's ex-football coach. Um, For the last few years, there were conversations happening in private about him, about his coaching, about his, his abilities. And I listen to sports radio sometimes, and and it was interesting, the week that he got fired, they, they kept talking about people who were calling in to, to publicly say what they had been saying in secret for years. And these individuals had views. They were trying to figure things out. They were talking among themselves, but they did not feel confident enough in those views to, to publicly declare them until the firing opened the door. And then they would. And see, whatever we think about Jesus, whether we're like, yeah, he's a good guy, um, he's a threat, he's a crazy person, or he's the son of God, our views on Jesus cannot remain to ourselves forever. This is one of the reasons that, that God gave us baptism as a sacrament in the church. Baptism is something that, that we do not just to to do it, but we do it because it's an opportunity to publicly confess, publicly declare, my faith is in Jesus. What I think about Jesus is that he is my savior and that I trust in him. When people are getting baptized, they're, they're publicly proclaiming that truth. I trust in Jesus. They're not saying, I finally figured everything out. I now understand God perfectly. I could explain the Trinity to you in a beautiful way. um, I've made it. That's not the declaration of someone getting baptized. Instead, every person who gets baptized is declaring, I was dead in my sins, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I trust in him, and I have been forgiven. It's a declaration of the grace of God that he's opened a heart to believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God, And we've seen that grace on display in our first year and a half as a church. We've had 15 people who have said, I'm going to make that declaration that Jesus is my God. I'm going to trust in him. Jesus saves. So we need to be encouraged. We need to know that Jesus can be trusted. Even though, yeah, we would love to fully figure him out. We would love to know exactly his his timeline on everything. We would love for every single one of our questions to be answered. But if we could fully figure him out, we would not need faith. But while we're here on earth, we we need faith. We have this joy of trusting in Jesus. That, yeah, we don't always know why he does what he does. We don't always know when he's going to answer the prayers that we've been praying but we know this we know he's god we know he's good we know he's powerful and we know that he can be trusted that's faith and as we make our faith known as we publicly share our faith about jesus to those around us then it gives the people who are around us an opportunity to make a decision about jesus too That's what we're going to see with the loud crowd, starting in verse 14. It says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and he began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether the teaching is from God Or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Then the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus is is stepping into the temple and he's beginning to teach the word of God. And the Jews who are there can't help but marvel because they're like, this guy knows the scripture. This guy is preaching with authority, but he's never been to school. He's never been to to Bible school. And Jesus' response to their awe is saying, my teaching is not my own The God's. In no uncertain terms, Jesus is telling these Jewish religious leaders in the temple that he came from God. And he's saying, if you truly wanted to do the will of God, then you would believe in me as the son of God. And then in verse 18, Jesus gets even more clear, and he tells them that in him, there is no falsehood. Basically, he's saying, I'm sinless. There's no sin in me. I'm perfect. And then in his next breath, he says, oh, and all of you religious leaders, um, none of you keep the law of God. So he's not mixing words here. He's saying, I, Jesus, am sinless. You religious leaders who are supposed to be uh, honoring God and walking with God, experts in God's law, you don't keep his law. So naturally, the crowd, now angry, is like, well, then you have a demon. Like, I don't know what else to say. You must have a demon. And religion is loud, right? It's showy. But this interaction shows us that we can trust in our religion or we can trust Jesus. But we can't do both. Because these loud religious leaders who who had the religion figured out, they looked perfect. They even performed circumcision on the, the day that it needed to be performed, even if it was a Sabbath, to keep the law. But then Jesus says, actually, you're not keeping the law. Why? Because the entire law is summed up in a single command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in this moment, the Lord their God, Jesus, is standing right in front of them. And instead of loving him, they're telling him that he has a demon. And that reality proves for them that that really their, their religion was not so much about loving God, but about loving themselves. They loved how they looked. They loved how they were honored by all of the people who would listen to their teachings they loved that they had an audience they loved themselves but they didn't love god because if they had loved god then they would have set their religion and their tradition aside to worship jesus and that's that's what happens when religion becomes more important to us than a relationship with jesus And so I want us to consider a question. The question is, why do we do what we do? Do you do it because you want to earn God's favor? Or do you do it because you know that you have received God's favor because of the work of Jesus? See, if you're you're doing everything that you're doing, if you're trying to be a good person, trying to pursue religion in this desperate attempt to to make God happy with you, to make God like you, then you're missing the entire point of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that our good works, as good as they are, are filthy rags before God. Meaning that, that we can try all of our lives to be good. We can Be really good, but if we're trusting in our own goodness, we are missing the point. We will never measure up. We will never be good enough to make God happy. That's what the gospel says. But that's not the end of the story. Because then the story of the gospel continues to say that that Jesus was perfect. Jesus' works were perfectly good. He lived the life that truly honors God, Then he went to the cross and he died for our sins. It was the perfect one dying for the imperfect ones. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And he showed his work is complete. See, our sins had to be paid for. We could never do it ourselves and the payment was accepted. And now forgiveness, life, is available to all who will trust in Jesus. And then as we make that decision, as we trust in Jesus, it completely changes why we obey. We have a completely different motivation to obey God because instead of obeying him in this desperate attempt to make him happy and wondering, are we ever going to measure up to his standard, now we obey God because we know that when God looks at us, he sees the perfect obedience of Jesus. And because God approves of Jesus, he approves of us. And so now we obey him in gratitude. We obey him in joy, not fear. That's the invitation for each and every one of us to turn away from religion, to turn away from loving ourselves and trusting in our own work, to turn to Jesus. Jesus knew that we could never make our way to God and so he came to us. That's the gospel that God came to us. And Jesus always leaves us with a decision to make. Look at verse 25. It says some of the people of Jerusalem said, "Is this is not this the man whom they seek to kill?" And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Yet, many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So you notice these two responses in these final verses, right? As Jesus speaks, he, he clearly says that he is sent from God. And the people respond in two different ways. One group of people says, arrest him get him away, get him out of here, we never want anything to do with him, the other group of people says, I trust him. He must be God, and instead of pushing him away, I'm actually going to follow him wherever he goes. See, each of these people had to make a decision for themselves, what will I believe about Jesus? Jesus. And we're going to see that that response, the answer to that question, "Do I believe Jesus is the Son of God?" It has tremendous implications for eternity. Pick it up in verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, "I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, where I am going." you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. What Jesus means is that the eternity that awaits all who, like these religious leaders, reject Jesus, who do not view Jesus as the Son of God, who do not place their faith in him. Their eternity is one without him. In fact, they will spend eternity apart from him, and then with the devil, and with all who refused to trust in Jesus. And that's why Jesus is telling them, where I'm going, you you can't come. Because Jesus is going to the Father And only those who trust in Jesus can be with the Father. See, the eternity that awaits all who reject Jesus is really them getting what they want. If they don't want Jesus, if they don't want to trust in him, then for all of eternity, that can be their reality. Paying for their own sin apart from him in torment forever. That's the penalty of sin, but I don't want that to be the eternity that awaits any of us. We as a church don't want that to be the eternity that awaits anyone in this neighborhood, anyone in Omaha. That's why we're here. That's why we're reaching out to the neighbors because we need more people to trust in Jesus so that more people can spend eternity with Jesus. That's why he came. That's why Jesus revealed himself as the Son of God, and that's why he died for you and for me. So this morning we've seen that those who were close to Jesus, they, they tried to manipulate him. Those who were quiet, they, they tried to fully figure him out. Those who were loud, they tried to arrest him and to put him away. But Jesus is powerful over all and as we keep reading in the gospel accounts, what's, what's beautiful is that we learn that many of those who were close to Jesus ended up trusting in him and are now with him in glory. We find out that many of those who were in these, these small crowds who were muttering among themselves trying to figure Jesus out eventually trusted in Jesus and are now with him for all eternity. And as we continue to read, we see that some of these loud religious leaders, even Nicodemus, one of the leaders of the Jews, end up trusting in Jesus and are with him for all of eternity. And that tells us that if you are listening to this message, it's not too late to trust in Jesus. The door is still open. The opportunity is still there. You can make that decision to trust in him. And for all of us who do trust in Jesus, we have this hope that we're going to be with the Father And that hope changes our lives here on this earth. I want to close with Jesus' words in John 14, starting in verse 2, when Jesus tells us exactly where he's going. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, or would I have told you that, that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes except through me. As we speak in this moment, Jesus is with the Father Jesus has made a way through his blood. He said, "I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life." So for each of us, maybe we're close to Jesus, maybe we're kind of quiet about Jesus, maybe we're we're loud about Jesus, but we all must make a decision. Is Jesus the Son of God? Am I going to turn from my sins and trust in Jesus to forgive me? We must make that decision. And if you're ready to make that decision today, if you have not yet, I just invite you to pray with me as we close. Say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you. I've heard this morning about your goodness, that I could never measure up to your standard and I could never be too far for you to die to forgive me. And so Jesus, I trust in you this morning, turning from my sins and placing my faith in you God, I pray that you would fill me now with your spirit, that you would change my heart, that you would change my life. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us as we consider these realities, Lord, as we consider this truth that as followers of Jesus, we have eternity with you awaiting us. God, I pray that we would not be deceived by religion, I pray that we would not get into the the rut where we think that we have to earn our way to you. But Jesus, I pray that we would love you, that we would live in gratitude of the work that you have done, that we would remember the message that saved us is the, the same message that grows us closer to you, that we were in need of forgiveness and you came and you saved us. You rescued us, you forgave us, and now we have the hope of eternity with you. Lord, you are so kind, so good. I pray that we would rest in that truth, and I pray, God, that you would give us opportunity as individuals and as a church to continue to share this message of hope with the world who needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.